Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into our human experience. Before we get started, be sure to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of the amazing conversations that we have. Today, we had the opportunity to sit down with Chase Tolinson. And this is actually our first Zoom interview that we've done. So I think it went pretty well. It was something that uh, we were really interested in getting Chase on the podcast. He is outside of Chicago. So being in person is a little bit difficult for us to pull off at this moment. Uh, but this opens up some opportunity for us to be able to reach out to other people who aren't directly in our geographic area. We had a great conversation today talking about how Chase got to where he is right now, the things that he's done professionally, uh, the things that he's pursued personally, and how he's using those tools to be able to impact the lives of his clients, both inside of his gym, as well as his private coaching clients, uh, where he works with men helping them to connect to their power, to helping them to connect to their greatest ability. And part of that is fitness, but a lot of it is also the other 23 hours. It's their mental toughness. It's their language. It's their discipline. And I don't want to take too much more away from him. We had a great conversation with Chase. So settle in and enjoy as we share our human experience. Let's let's just kick it off, man. I want to hear a little bit about your personal story, your background, how you got to where you are right now, um, and, and touch on the pieces of that experience that were the most formative, the most valuable for you in, in what you're doing right now and, and kind of how you're living your life right now. Definitely. And to lay a base for that story, we have to go all the way back to when I was four and five years old and my dad had an old school prison weight bench in his bedroom. I grew up watching my dad lift weights. Uh, at the local gym, you had to be 12 to go upstairs and use the machines and the free weights. And on my 12th birthday, I was taking those stairs two at a time to go up there and lift some weights. I had already been in our basement at home using the dumbbells that we had. And I remember I was actually on a pack deck machine on my 12th birthday. And one of the trainers walks up, she's like, how old are you? I'm like, I'm 12. Like, okay. <laughs> Keeps on moving. Uh, and that kept going through high school. I played some baseball, uh, rec league stuff. I, we were really good. And I was more so always just wanting to do fitness as opposed to playing a sport. Um, team sports weren't my biggest passion. And then especially when I turned 16, I got a Camaro. So I was the guy in high school who drove an 88 IROC Z with T-tops and lifted weights. Creating <laughs> uh, the mental image right now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was. And I showed up to school smelling like uh, pot and cigarettes every day. So, <laughs> yeah, it was great. Um, tire smoke and smoke, smoke coming out my car when I would leave every day. And uh, that carried through high school. And after high school, I tried community college. I had zero direction. Um, I knew I liked fitness. I got my ACSM personal trainer uh, cert. And I did the 24-hour fitness thing for like a couple months. Didn't love it. And I started talking with the military. I was like, I don't got any direction. Let's go see what the military can do for me. Had a record. Uh, 
marijuana possession charge. That kept me from getting the security clearance to be an air traffic controller. So I was like, all right, I want to go do something cool. I'm 21. I'm filled with testosterone. Let's go jump out of planes. Air Force shot me down for a spec war contract because of my record. Uh, the Army would give me infantry and could not guarantee me ranger school. The Navy said, yeah, you want a BUDS contract? You want to go try and be a SEAL? Sure, you got a 30% chance once you get there. But if you go pay to fix your eyes, you can go do it. Uh, my second cousin sent me the book Lone Survivor to try to dissuade me because he was retired Air Force enlisted two officer and working at the Pentagon in the department missile defense. I read that book in 72 hours and put my Camaro up for sale. The car I said I'd never sell to pay for LASIK. Running, swimming, push-ups, pull-ups out, out of my eyeballs for the next year. And I go to contract in on January 26, 2010, and the detailer at MEPS says, sorry, new instruction was sent out five days ago. Your misdemeanor possession charge is no longer waiverable. So I went back and forth with my cousin. He handed my package to an admiral. I was, that still got shot down, and I ended up getting me out of town as fast as possible. And I spent four years in the Navy turning wrenches, uh, became super disenfranchised with a broken leadership structure and decided I wanted to be my own boss. Got my CrossFit level one in January of 2012. I got out, I opened a gym. I did the CrossFit CrossFit thing for a while. I was gonna build a team that went to regionals. You know, uh, It was 2014 and I was on top of the world. Yeah. And there was, <laughs> yeah, right? I feel like everybody has those days and some people live in them for a while. And uh, from there, it was a, it was a slow burn uh, between the OPEC CCP experience as a gym owner, a coach and realizing that individuals need their own journey. And it started on the physical side that uh, my belief shifted to let's take care of people on the individual level more than just throwing them through the same workout over and over again and expecting them to grow. And it has evolved into the personal development side as well, uh, getting the stories in the head straight to kill the fear that usually comes along with fuel as fitness. Fitness is so often fueled by negative emotion. And when we can absolutely flip that on its head and fitness be like a movement meditation where we're working to love our bodies, then we're, we're climbing mountains when we're 90 years old. I, so dude, I want to I, I want to interrupt you real quick and just put, put a pin in that. So yeah, this morning I'm not. We Melissa and I have very much a, a yin and yang relationship, and it's mm -hmm. wonderful that we've learned how to how to live with that and how to benefit from it. Really, um, so I was just thinking. I hope you notice all the stuff he just said as to why I wanted to bring Chase on. She was like. Who are we talking to today? Why? <laughs> what is he doing? And like that the way the way that you just kind of articulated that the this first step as far as within fitness and, and mm -hmm. your approach and how you got to there and what you're looking at it, you articulated it so well in in a way that I think anyone who is responsible, anyone who is evolving and learning and growing within this space, it's the direction they're going. 
Yeah, so I just it, it just kind of dawned on me. I wanted to yeah. take a yeah. moment because we had that discussion this morning. I'm like, I don't know. He's doing cool stuff, and we talked, and he's got a great head on his shoulders, and he's doing the. And I'm like, I just think it's interesting, and I want. <laughs> she goes, Fine, <laughs> you you're in charge. <laughs> that that's awesome. I'm I'm glad that little brief bio could uh, help reinforce that for you. Uh, it resonated. And, right there, sure. Yeah. By all means, I was getting to the point of wrapping it up. I tried to keep the the who is Chase story quick, and and that's right there. That brings us right up to the recent past. Now, I I dove into my unlifted level one. I, I found vocabulary in January 2017 and started working on which words I use, and then I dove into my unlifted level one last fall. I have now graduated from the level two, and implementing language and story work into fitness coaching it and i think i said this when we talked talking about what we were going to talk about in podcast so many well-meaning coaches say you know they're like oh well the habits lay the base if you do that you're building your first story without laying a foundation and the foundation is the stories in our head and the identity around who we are and what we're able to do with our capabilities i love that yeah i love that that's i mean it, we we just had a uh a discussion with a colleague that will refer clients back and forth with and uh, and we went down a similar path and started talking about whether or not she's ever considered having like a mental health professional within the, the circle of referral because so many of these things, she works a lot with, with nutrition and she's a, she's a registered dietitian. Mm, yeah, I think. She's got some some advanced degree beyond, she's also a chiropractor, but she did, did some other stuff. And so anyway, she does a lot of like reading blood work and diagnostics, so more medical based stuff. But we brought up that how many of these things, the habits that you lay out, the things that, the actions that your clients need to take they're just not doing because it's not necessarily rooted in them not knowing what to do. It's in a belief structure and a narrative and stories mm -hmm. that they've built up over 20, 30, 40, 50 years that have just never been addressed and they continue to resurface, mm -hmm. you know, and they continue to act out or manifest in whatever they choose to do or not to do. Yeah, 100%, you know, it's all of this information Almost anything that a, a well-educated coach will teach their clients is available on Google or YouTube or Instagram. All the tactics are out there these days in the age of information. Uh, everybody knows they're not supposed to snack at night, but when that anxiety creeps up because you have body image issues because your mom pressured you to make the cheerleading squad in seventh grade, then you're going to reach for a bag of chips to quell that because it's a lot easier to reach into a bag of chips than to reach inside your head and untangle that story. Oh, so true. That's so true. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, so you, you, you mentioned vocabulary and then the enlifted certification. So I too started dabbling in vocabulary a few years ago, a buddy of ours uh, went through the strong coach program. Uh, also yep. when it came out and he, him and I would talk about that. He's super, super focused on language and uses it a lot in his in his parents or family's company so he's got somewhat of a leadership role within there and he's helping to try to shape the culture and him and i met up yesterday we had a really long conversation about how 
valuable language, not only external, but internal and how he chooses to use his language, how that's shaping a lot of the guys in their workforce and changing, you know, their outlook on going to work and what they're doing and whether or not it's a good day or a shitty day. Um, and it's been really interesting and, and valuable. And he's someone that's pushed me to pursue it more where I kind of just dabbled and I looked at it. It's interesting. Um, but I am curious to hear what was the, the big difference or the big leap from studying the vocabulary stuff to moving into the enlifted and then the level two enlifted. What are those, how, what have, how have each of those tiers served you? Awesome question. Uh, vocabulary gives you the nuts and bolts. The, this is what a projection is. This is a, a reflection. This is soft talk, you know, the maybes the, you know, uh, I'll try all that as opposed to solid talk and the negations versus the affirmations. Uh, it, it creates awareness. The Enlifted Level 1 is the best personal and professional development course I've been through because you are learning the coaching system for rewiring language and rewiring stories by going through it. And you dive into your own story in the Enlifted Level 1. And for me personally, I learn very well by doing. So when I got in there and I started digging into my story and we went through the four-step process and you start seeing how we can translate stuff, true stuff about life in real time, then it, it really starts to take those nuts and bolts and start to build a house with it. Um, and that the Enlifted Level 1, right there, it, it gets you out of the stuck. The level two gets you like built, you build wings in the level two and you learn how to help your clients build wings. The level two is uh, wins, it's goal setting. It's all the stuff that you're able to do once you untangle those cobble, cop, wow, untangle the cobwebs in your head. Yeah. And lifted program also talks a lot about breathing while you're talking, which I forgot to do for a sentence there. <laughs> Well, there's no perfection, right? There's no point of arrival. Um, no, the journey is the reward. That's it. Mm -hmm. I, I, it's, I love the way that you laid that out because I personally have been, I, I, I've talked with Mark a number of times because he's just a good dude. If you reach out and ask a question, he'll get back to you and leave you a little voicemail. And, and him and I have jumped on a call on it. And I've looked at doing the Enlifted Level 1. Um, I just haven't done it. I haven't acted on it as of yet. There's other things that we're putting energy and money and time into, but I have also still been curious as far as what exactly it is. And I love the way that you laid it out. We've mentioned this program on other podcasts before because I love the work that they're doing. And I think it's really valuable. I love that idea of vocabulary is welcome to the wood shop. Like here's all the things, here's the tools, the things that you can use, you know, they exist now they're there. You yep. can choose to use them or not. Mm -hmm. The level one, put your own air mask, your own oxygen mask on first. Let's take care of your shit, figure shit out so that you can truly speak from experience and know and understand what that path is going to look like for someone else that you are coaching or advising on this. And then that next step up, it sounds like is this is where we take all those lessons you've learned, the tools you've learned how to use, the lessons you've learned about yourself, 
and how we can start to share that information and knowledge with other people. I think that's a that's a really digestible way, at least for me. A lot of these interviews I, I want, I'm just selfishly trying to learn shit that I can mess around with or, yeah. or grow from. And so that just really clicked and made sense in my head as far as how that progression works. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I appreciate it. I, of course, yeah. I highly recommend anyone that does the level one does the level two as well, because you come out of the level one able to help clients and the level two gives you more tools to help them once they're free of their stuck. Mm. The level one helps you like get them out of their stuck. And then the level two helps you like take them, climb the mountain. Gotcha. So, yeah, that's, yeah, it's, uh, and if you're on the fence thinking about it, I, I think they just opened up a second May cert because their first May cert sold out. Yeah. Yeah, it's I, I, I'm not on the fence thinking about it at all. I'm yeah. trying to make sure that I have a tendency to to put my fingers in every pie on the windowsill, if possible. And so I'm literally <laughs> finishing up a 10 week uh, course right now and then have another. I don't know what the duration is, is going to be. There's another uh, course that I'm working through after this. It's six sessions, but I think they might be spaced out every two weeks. Um, okay. But either way, that's all kind of besides the point. But I will have a tendency to be like, let's take on, I want to do all these things at once. And I'm like, plus we have two kids and businesses and other things that we're trying to do in a personal life. And then I do a shitty job at all of them. Um, so I, I, oh, that, it's that's why we get along. What's that? I said, that's why. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's interesting just listening to kind of how you, how you grew up, at least the, the, the quick overview of it, time in the military and then stepping out, it, there's, I feel personally a lot of parallels mm-hmm. to that. You know, I, I served in the Marine Corps, went in for very much the same reason because I really had no fucking idea what I was gonna do. I was smart, but also very lazy in school. And so I was just like, I don't know. And, um, you know, got in a lot of trouble, semi-criminal doing stuff before that. And, and, uh, and then went in and had this very conflicting experience where it was some of the deepest, most meaningful relationships that I cultivated while being in there. And also just despised what you talked about, which is this like this, this terrible leadership and not universally, there was great leaders that I worked with and was exposed to but generally speaking, this huge bureaucracy that just makes what seems like nonsensical decisions for efficacy of mission and and et cetera, et cetera. And that spills over into the public sector as well. You get out into business and and working at various companies. And so there's just a lot of, I I can relate to that. And I appreciate hearing someone else. So it makes me feel less crazy, I guess, when like, oh, wait, there are other people that think this way. (laughs) They're like. Dude, it it was. Uh, you know, in the Navy, an E7 is a chief. Uh, and I, all my chiefs throughout my four-year term up until the last six months were all, in one way or another, an example of what we're talking about. If the chief I had for the last six months had been there earlier on, I would have re-enlisted because he was one of those few and far between good examples of somebody who stuck up for his guys and 
you know, made sure that the work was done the right way. And it's just, it's unfortunate that that's so few and far between. And I feel like in the military, we see that in a bubble. And then you get out and you're like, oh, there's a lot of issues with personal responsibility. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you see it, it pops up everywhere, uh-huh. right? Mm-hmm. And it, I think it's valuable to have someone like yourself. And it's, it's something that I'll ha- do in conversation too pointing out to people that maybe have not had no military experience personally or even within close relationships in their lives. So there's this stereotype of like, oh, you were in the Marine Corps. Everyone was a fucking badass. And I'm like, nope, <laughs> not really. There was a bunch of guys with man tits and lazy and didn't do anything. Like there is, there's everything. There's everything that you see out there. Not everyone's like a stud kicking down doors and doing all that. And to see that in where in an arena where most people perceive there to be like, Oh, leadership. Like I've had people call me John Gilson from again, faster had a long conversation with me that I'll never forget him and I were talking and he's like, what do you think about hiring veterans? And I said, this is going to sound weird, but I don't like doing it. Cause I was at a, um, at the time I was working for a nonprofit that worked with veterans with traumatic brain injury and, and PTSD. And a lot of the guys that would, consider coming into the program or people that would refer to be like, how many veterans work on staff? And I'm, I'm like, me, no one else. And they're like, don't you think you should have more? I'm not against it, but I think the merit of the person I'm hiring for the job they need to do should outweigh what they did in the past. I'm just going to point out there that the, the military is full of the same people that are out in the civilian world. So whatever percentage of shit bags, whatever percentage of lazy people, whatever percentage of rock stars and amazing leaders, it's very, very similar. It's not a, it's not an asymmetrical world that, that we're in. And so, but it's hard, I think, for a lot of people to wrap their head around that because they have this kind of fantasy vision of, you know, of what military life looks like and what the soldier looks like. And so they think, well, I got to hire veterans. They're disciplined and they're, they're reliable. And they'll get the job done and they're innovative and they're leaders. I'm like, maybe. And I, and I remember telling John, I go, actually, if I were you and you're looking to hire a veteran, I would look for someone who got in trouble and then dig into why they got in trouble. And if it's because they were being a good leader, they were thinking creatively and outside the box to solve problems. Because those are things that I used to get in trouble for when I was in the military. And it didn't make any sense to me. And like, and it's like, so it, it was a weird conversation, but I think a really valuable one. I remember him thanking me. He's like, dude, this was great because so many people just are like, no, oh, it's a good move. Hire veterans they are great employees. Sometimes they're great employees. Yeah. Sometimes they have great leadership skills and sometimes they're reliable and sometimes they're not just like anyone who didn't decide to serve. Yeah. I think talking about being in bubbles too, like having not been in the military, but being in the fitness world, like that's another bubble, right? And we surround ourselves with people that think like us, act like us, look like us, do similar things, prioritize the same things. And then this past year has highlighted, especially that people don't have accountability. They don't have personal accountability and they don't do like, so when we, when things shut down, we're like, all right, let's double down on all the good things we're doing. And let's really make sure that we're focusing on, you know, X, Y, Z to make sure we're in the best place possible. And then we realize that most people aren't doing that. Yeah. Like, most of our clients were, and yeah. we took that as a, as that's a failure. 
on our part. If, if well, within yeah. two weeks of being shut down, you can't sustain healthy habits, moving and eating well and sleeping and all these sort of things, just because you can't physically go to a, a gym and work out, that's a, that's a failure on everyone involved for, for doing that. We haven't cultivated that behavior out of you. 100%. And uh, I like to look at failures as lessons. Um, opportunities. Uh, yeah, opportunities, lessons, however you want to frame it. And um, I've used both this last year and early days in, you know, being a na young, naive gym owner, you know, like, oh, well, if they don't want to be here, whatever, that's their problem. Like, no, how can you as the coach mm -hmm. like, yeah. meet them where they are? And there's so many coaches out there and, and I did it. I'm 100% guilty in the past. And I believe the the difference is who wants to grow out of being the exerciser who has a place to work out and lets other people work out there if they want to, or the coach who comes from a place of service and keeps a, a spot open to receive what their clients are feeling and saying and doing in their life. So you can truly meet them where they are. Yeah. I think that's, that's a big, you know, you talk about that bubble. Um, it's when I worked, when I had the gym, the first couple of years, I was here 5.00 AM to 9.00 PM. And then I got the opportunity to go on a vacation about 18 months in. And I was like, oh, there's people out there that need more help than even some of the people in my gym. <laughs> they exist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, bubbles are real. It's, I mean, yeah. I would love to hear how you transitioned from, you know, early on CrossFit to where you are, you are now and how this kind of self-development journey has changed what you're doing as a coach. Yeah, awesome. Great question. That started in winter 2017 and I, i'd imagine it was spawned partially by vocabulary in early 2017 creating the subconscious awareness around the language that was being used around people's workouts and stuff like that uh, i started exploring the possibility of doing the opex ccp program without really knowing what it was but knowing it was a well-respected program you'd learn how to write shit hot programming um and I got into that and I did January, 2018, a six month course. I went out there in May and listened to James Fitzgerald talk on program design, which I still have that super long voice recording on my phone. I just set my phone on the desk and hit record. And I came back and I was like, we're starting an individual design program now. And luckily we were moving locations that October. So I went from uh, 4,000 square foot space total to 4,500 square feet of gym floor. And we had a side floor for individual design. That was winter 2018. And it started coming young. The projections abounded out of the people in the group class. Well, why do they get to do that over there? Well, why are they doing that? And so many gym owners fears when they start an individual design program, are like, oh, well, they're still going to want to go be on the group. And I have yet to have one individual design member say, no, I miss group. I like coming in and doing my own workout, getting to be here when I want to be here. And um, so that's been our personal experience with that. And I got rolling with the Active Life uh, Pro Path for gym owners uh, well over a year ago now. And I had been struggling in my head to figure out how to help the group members who wanted some of what the individual design people were doing, 
and still wanted to work out with their friends. And Sean Pestuch, being the uh, creative mind that he is, said, well, this is the active life model, what you're trying to figure out. This is what we're going to be teaching you guys. You know, you, you do individual design on the front end of class, and then the backside is a group workout. And it was like, oh, okay, cool. I could have saved a lot of money if I thought of that on my own. <laughs> active life, Sean, I love you. Active life has helped us in immense ways besides that. Uh, we're still with them. Uh, all of that culminated with the gym's podcast. Uh, one of my coaches and my good friend was like, hey, can we start a podcast? Like, sure. And we had Mark England on once. We had Mark England on a second time. And I was like, hey, man, what's this in Lifted program? And that comes full circle to what I was talking about. I got into the Enlifted level one and I was like, oh, like when I had my console call with Mark, my discovery call with the Enlifted, he framed it as it's the samurai sword for mindset work. Uh, so if you're trying to, you know, our slogan is live with purpose. I don't know where it is on this water bottle. Yeah, uh, uh, and we have been struggling to truly embody that with movement alone, even when it's individualized. And I got into the lifted level one. I was like, oh, this is it. This is like the piece. This I've been staring at the puzzle at this gaping missing piece. And this was it. Uh, and I, I sound like I work for lifted right now. I promise I don't. And uh I got into there and one of the first changes we made while I was still in the Elliptic program was we start every class with affirmations. And it sounds like woo woo and kind of weird at first and the members dive into it. And we have a list of affirmations on the board, pick one that resonates with you that day. And during the warm up, the coach says affirm and every 45 seconds and members say their affirmation. And like the energy and the, the vibes, if you will, and the mood in here is, just went up, people are more consistent. And it has come full circle to things like I was talking about with, you know, someone's like, hey, I need help with mindset for nutrition. Okay, cool, let's talk. And it went to seventh grade cheerleading and even deeper than that. You know, so that's, uh, I hope I answered your question because I tend to go off on tangents. Oh yeah, that was beautiful. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely, what you just said about, you know, something, being from someone's childhood that is now making life more difficult, you know, 30 years later, that's, I mean, I've, I've done the majority of the lifestyle and nutrition work with our clients over the 10 years we've been um, in business. And I can't tell you how many times I've sat with people and, you know, they're like, I want to lose weight. And I'm like, okay, what would that do for you? If you lose, if you lost X amount mm -hmm. of pounds, or, you know, why does this mean something to you? And where does this stem from? I just went through, I created a a course for women. It was, it was only a four week kind of teaser course. I'm potentially thinking about opening it up to a much longer in depth, but it was all about just learning self-love and body acceptance and positive language around your body. And the women in that course were just, I mean, so many of them. The first question I asked them was where, where does this idea of what your body should look like even come from? And they talked about you know, magazines and, you know, I had a, a woman in there that talked a lot about her mom and, you know, being a gymnast and just so much, it's like 
stems from so much, I think, in childhood. So I think that's great that that's something that you're able to communicate effectively and, and help these people with. Yeah, and it, it's interesting because I'm always, I'm fascinated by, frustrated with myself and fascinated by when people are able to do something that that we also either attempted to do or considered doing or had daydreamed about or whatever. And you touched on a couple of those things. One, uh, working with, we've known Sean for quite some time now. We, Probably I think, eight years. Yeah, I think we, years. we attended his, if not the first, one of the very first seminars they ever did. Um, nice. And we had just friends that, uh, that connected all of us. So we, we've been in touch with him for a long time. And when we talked to him about the ProPath thing, we were laughing. Melissa and I, probably two years prior to that, had been looking for a secondary location and having conversations around, I don't want this to be another CrossFit affiliate. You know, one of the things I've come to realize about myself, and especially in the last five or six years, is just certain tendencies and personality traits that I have, one of which is to rebel and question things, uh, even if they're things that I probably shouldn't rebel and question on and that's where i need the you know that's where i continue to work but when we opened our affiliate we opened under the pretense of i will i will part ways from crossfit as soon as i feel like it doesn't serve us anymore you know and we'll do things our own way it was one of the beautiful things about setting up as an affiliate was that there wasn't really there's no real blueprint right right we talked about what if we could, could provide someone the split service where you're getting this personalized piece and you're coming together in a group. And then years later, we're talking to Sean about it. I'm like, yeah, that's the thing that we we're, I guess we should have done it because <laughs> you put it together in a way that's like really deliverable. And now you talking about like that starting a class with affirmations and things like that. And that, you know, it may sound kind of woo woo a couple of years ago, I probably would have been like, yeah, I get it. That sounds nice, but I'm never gonna, I would never consider that. To, to be a thing that would have much value. And now I totally disagree with that previous assumption. And, and I, I don't find it woo-woo at all. I find it challenging, I'm sure, for like if, if there's any other gym owners listening or people that are just engaged in fitness that are listening and feeling weird about starting their workout or their day with affirmations because it's uncommon. It's not something, they, it's not a, a thing they've done that up, to, up until this point. Um, there's definitely going to be resistance against implementing something like that, whether it be personally or for others. But resistance does not necessarily mean that there's not value there. And the fact that it's uncommon doesn't mean that it's not, that it's not worth doing. Right. And uh, those are some things that I've, that I've come to realize, like the language, I think it all ties together, the language, the mindset, the affirmations. I think you and I talked real briefly about, uh, like psychedelic experiences and things like that on, on our call. I've gotten way more into woo-woo shit, especially in the last year, but really the last like five, six years. Uh, things that I would have considered a younger, a younger version of Chad would have been like, what the fuck are you doing? Sitting in the woods breathing for 30 minutes. <laughs> like, go for a run. You know, do, go, yeah. go do something manly. Carry some wood around or something. Like, you know. Um, yeah. So it's interesting to watch that evolution and, and to start to see people that are, I, I love from the sound of it, I love the way that you're integrating fitness with these other pieces, because in all honesty, and one of the things we try and do on this show is to be 
vulnerable and honest, like we failed at that. And I looked, I started to look at it as a, like, how can these things coexist? Right. How can I have group fitness and all these things and also work with clients on their mindset on being connected to their body? You mentioned something earlier about going through a workout and having it feel purposeful and connected, meditative, Mm -hmm. like it's an experience versus it's another chance to kind of numb or drug yourself or tune out of your life, which is a lot of what we started to see and became frustrated and disenfranchised with. And when we moved our business, um, it was, there was, it's a very long story, but we had to move our business, not by our choosing to an area that was not where we were going. We shifted gears to focus more on that connected purpose of movement that it shouldn't be you shouldn't be working out to be good at working out unless you're one of the very few people in this country that get paid to work out um how else can it serve you and how else can you be there and we're looking around at people and they i've said it to melissa a bunch of times it's becoming the new bar like going to a group fitness class is is the way to get drunk right you go there with friends and you just "Ah, go nuts and then you tune out your life and you leave well, because you are lit, quite literally getting high when you go to a, a group, an intense group fitness class, you're getting that cocktail of stress hormone. And to your point about resistance, people are, they, they go into the gym and they build their body with resistance and continue to run away from the resistance that will help them build their mind. Yes. And it, it is, and speaking on bubbles, the three of us sitting here on this call, we're in a nice little bubble where it's weird that it's weird for people to want to run away from that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And it's, it's normal. You know, it, it's common. It, 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 it is, you're exactly right. It's become the new bar. Like instead of going and sit, drinking 10 IPAs to drown their sorrows, they go and they do uh 21, 15, nine of thrusters, burpees, burpee box, jump overs and assault bike calories. Yeah. They lay on the floor for 10 minutes afterwards. And then they leave with a cortisol and adrenaline hit thinking they got a great workout. And six months later, their shoulder hurts and they still haven't lost those last couple of pounds of belly fat. And they're wondering what it's all even worth. Yeah. And it's interesting because just like anything else of, of value that I've found in life, it's, it's really hard to, to impart that knowledge on other people. I mean, I can't tell you how many people I sat with. I'm like, listen, I'm not doing this to piss in your Cheerios. I'm talking to you about this because I'm living it right now. You know, I'm whatever, 36, 38, now almost 40 years old and have to be very cognizant about how I engage with fitness and with booze and with anything else that I, that I would do in extreme measures prior earlier on in my life, because I dug myself into a, a fucking crater size hole in terms of my health and my ability to function. And it's, it takes a lot of effort to get out. So it's not that mm-hmm. I don't realize that it's fun for you to come and do a hard workout. I 100% realize that. And I think it's important that you do hard things with an intelligent focus in a purposeful way, in a way that, that I, I immediately just thought of two clients years ago, having this conversation around, um, around a go rock and I shared with each of them 
the one client, she, she came to me thinking about doing this, a bunch of people at work, blah, blah, blah. I said, absolutely sign up, make sure that you take a day or two off from the gym before and afterwards come in and just like casually ride the bike for 20 or 30 minutes, go for a walk, like recover, like take the time. You might need a week after, depending on how, how your body responds, you know? And we had this conversation go, but you should 100% go do this. Same conversation with another client who participated in a lot of these, who works a, a laborious, physically demanding job, works really hard in the gym. He's like, yeah, well, I got another go rock coming up that I want to, I go, do you think you should do that? Because we've had conversations for the last few months about what you're trying to work on. Is that a challenge for you? Because I'd argue that it's not. I'd argue that you're very comfortable suffering through something like that. And that that's not difficult for you to do. It's actually easier for you to run into that, that feeling of just kind of let's endure this hardship and move on versus some of the other things that we've talked about you doing. And it was, it's always, it's been interesting to see one prescription in this case, being that go ruck that is very different for each individual that comes in there. And then trying to talk through that person, listen, I get it that you like this. I understand. Do you like it enough to continue to suffer the way that you are? Or are you interested in starting to repair, recover, shift, and be able to choose when to bring discomfort and pain and struggle into your life? Because that's different than suffering. I think everyone should be doing difficult things. I think everyone should be pursuing discomfort. Pain is inevitable. All of those things are true. Suffering is not mandatory. We're all, we're all going to experience it, but we can find ways away from that. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so it's just, but that's such a difficult lesson I've found to, to get people to grasp where they just feel like you're just trying to ruin my day. I don't want to move slowly and be able to nasal breathe the whole time during this workout. I want to fucking poop my pants doing a deadlift at the end of a 20 minute AMRAP. You know, which is why something like individual design is so beneficial for people because you're working so closely with a coach and you're actually being educated on why you're doing the things you're yeah. doing. Right. Yes. Uh, and I've had the conversation a few times with uh, intelligent clients and, and it's, it's been my experience that the, the super well-read intelligent ones are the ones that, you know, we believe, because you know, I consider myself intelligent, uh, that we know it. Yes. So when somebody else comes in, it's like, yeah, oh, no, that's not what I was talking about. So it's like they get into individual design and they're doing work and they're they're progressing on all measure, 10 minute assault bike tests, you know, whatever test you want to throw at, they are getting better. Yeah, but I just miss like the group aspect, like doing something hard and like knowing that like I, I got through it. I'm like you work and you sweat over here, right? I'm like, yeah. I just miss like the, like the workout, you know, mentally pushing through it. I'm like, yeah, I, I get that. And it, it sounds more like what you, like your body is missing the adrenaline, the constant adrenaline dose, as opposed to the every once in a while. Oh, no, no. I, I knew you were going to say that. That's not what it is. It's just that I. <laughs> Maybe for other people. We've had that yeah. come up a bunch yeah. of times with clients. So like, well, I, I get it. I get what you guys are trying to do for other people. But I'm good. But. <laughs> like that's not what I need 
Yeah. Really, because you haven't gotten stronger, leaner, or your, your demeanor. Nothing's changed about you in the last six months, eight months. We're trying to do this thing to shift. Yeah. No, but you're right. The, the, everyone else this applies to, but not you. Every other human being's physiology responds the same way, but not you. Yeah. You're unique in some You're Captain way. America. Yeah. Right? I'd love to go back on our journey because it sounds like Chase was more successful because he absolutely well, we got to learn from him. No, no, not <laughs> because he did he did language work, personal work, then tried to implement it on other people, and we did implement it on other people, language work, personal putting work. it together while yeah, we're like, while we're crashing. Yes, we were we were also trying <laughs> to do those things. So like, I wonder if we like started a gym now, being in better places individually if we would be able to communicate this more effectively and then I would hope so. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's just inter it's interesting because we've done many of the same things, personal development, professional yeah. development. And um, our paths have crossed many of the same people, which is again, why, why yeah. I was interested in bringing you on when you, when you're looking for shows to come on. And I, I think you're right. I think it would be a, a totally different experience. I know for you and I personally, I don't want to bore you with, with our story. We have two interviews with our life story, if you are interested. Um, <laughs> and, it, but we also spent a lot of time just working on our relationship and ourself while also running a business and doing all well, these other things. Kids, and then it, yeah. yeah. So it, and not that that's a reason to not do the right thing, but no, there but, are limited I mean, resources of energy and wanting something i'm sure you can attest to this chase like wanting your clients to understand the value of affirmations of rest days of personalized programming of working on your you, you know your focus your purpose being connected to your life the value of that stuff a lot of people aren't seeking that initially or at least they don't know they are when they go into a gym so it's a difficult thing when to to do so if yeah. you don't have the energy and the resources to put everything you have into conveying that message well and i think people, the, the coach difficult. the person delivering the message also really truly needs to be there like while this past year was difficult in many ways and presented things that we weren't necessarily expecting mm -hmm. this year has also given me i've taken it as an opportunity to really dig into myself as a person and what that means as a coach yeah. so for the first time and i've said it number of times to a number of different people Recently, this like today is the like one of the first times that I feel like I am legitimately walking the walk, like legitimately doing like I've always done some of them like I eat well or I work out consistently or I get some sleep most of the time, but like I can like stand up and say today is like the most consistent and the best I felt in probably the 10 years we've owned our business. So and I we think, had a great year. Like we just personally, personally we, had, we had a great yeah. year. So, I mean, I think I just, I feel like I personally wasn't able to get our clients to where they needed to be because I personally wasn't there. Hmm. So I would, you know, saying like, you should do mantras in the beginning of class. Like I saw, I would have seen the benefit in that two, three years ago. And I probably wouldn't have been the most An effective at delivering it because today I actually use mantras and three years ago I didn't. Yeah. Right. So. I, I, no, go ahead. I want to make sure I didn't cut you off there. That's, that's awesome. And to your point, when we start class, whichever coach is running class shares their affirmation for the day with the class. So it's mm -hmm. like, Hey guys, 
We do this too. Here's what I'm using to find my power today. Uh, you guys know what abracadabra means? Yeah. With my words, I create. Yeah. I shared okay. that on, uh, so we have the course that I'm in right now. <clears throat> it's a 10 week microdosing course. And we have a, um, we have a call on Mon uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays. And the last call, I, one of the presenters was talking about various non-negotiable principles. Um, and he related it specifically to entrepreneurship, but also was like, even if you're not an entrepreneur, all of these things will make your life better, no matter what you're doing. And one of the things that we were talking about was language. And I typed that in the little chat for him. He's like, I love it, Chad. And I, I know Chris for the guy that was presenting for a while. He's like, that's right. Every, I'm like, it does mean something like that. Don't quote me a hundred percent with my, with my words I will create, but um, it's a huge topic of conversation on those calls between us. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's something that she's harped on me for a very, maybe as long as we've known each other is like my, the way that I shape narratives and mindset and my beliefs and how that ends up manifesting in my life. Mm -hmm. And it's something that it's especially in the last year or so, I've really taken more of a concerted effort into, into it and believe it more. And for a long time, it, it was something that I understood, but I didn't know. Mm. That was a big thing that came to that, that, that I've pulled from the, the handful of psychedelic experiences I had is the difference between the two, the difference between understanding something and knowing it. I understand how to play billiards. I get it. I get the geometry and the, but I don't know how to do it. I'm not good at it. Right. I don't. so it's like, I don't believe that I can do it because it's just not something I know as of yet. And that's one thing well, that we've, I think, been yeah. working on and cultivating is actually knowing that language matters and mindset matters. And then because we know it, we act on it more frequently. And because we act on it more frequently, it creates this thing. Yeah. And, it just well, and also itself. unraveling the stories in our heads too of surrounding, I mean, we've talked more personally nowadays, but like relating back to business and why some of our business things haven't been as successful, I think is because we've gone into it with people aren't going to pay this much or they're not going to care this much about, you know, personalized attention. And, you know, so then we roll it out with this like underlying feeling of like, we don't a thousand percent believe in this. Mm. So I, if people can sniff that out. <laughs> yeah. hundred percent. And do you know what uh, the reticular activating system is? Yes. Hell yeah. We got a jam in person sometime. We do. Uh, have you explained it for the listeners before? No, please. So the reticular activating system is, what kind of car do you drive? Subaru. Crosstrek. Subaru. Yeah, so it's the reason that when you bought the Subaru Crosstrek, you started seeing more Subaru Crosstreks everywhere, right? I mean, I, I got a Tacoma about a year ago. Next thing I know, I'm like, holy shit, there's like a whole Tacoma fan club out here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, all right. On that note, if we're speaking in affirmations, we are going to see if, if my affirmation is I am leveling up, I'm going to see ways to level up and reasons that I have leveled up. And I, I firmly believe that that's a big reason why people are resistant to them because their reticular activating system is wired in a spot where they are so far away from being able to see that affirmation and see the things that are around it. Mm -hmm. that support Great. it 
yeah. I agree. It's you, it's, and it, and there's value. I think we're personally where I would get lost in a lot of this stuff years ago is looking at someone who would espouse these sort of ideas and basically immediately go on the defensive of saying, well, that's easy for you to say because you have this, 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 and you have it set up this way. So you can obviously say that, well, I manifested this. Like, no, you have fucking rich parents. And then this thing was given to you. And so then you could pour, you know, more gasoline on the fire. And blah. So I start making these, these, uh, these stories up in my mind about why it does or doesn't work for someone else. And what's been really valuable is starting to learn how to recognize where some of my stories come from, what am I noticing around the world? And, you know, we had, again, without going too deep into it, but like we had a lot of relationship issues and a lot of it stemmed from how I grew up and we spent the better part of a decade getting to the point where, you know, Melissa and I started dating about eight, 19 years ago. I don't know. 18 ish, 19 years ago. Um, and the first like 11, I was a piece of shit. Like, I mean, she's, she's an enduring person. Like, um, but it took a long time for me to get past some things. And I didn't even really know what I was doing, getting past these stories that I had in my head about being worthy of love, of a supportive relationship, of trust, of all of these things. Right. And now I'm really working on a lot of those same stories around finances and success professionally and some of those things. And when you talk about the reticular activating system, like we have talked about this recently, the last couple of months, the only thing I saw growing up were broke people. We mm. were poor. All my friends were poor. Everyone I knew, I didn't know what a successful person looked like. I had never met one until I was an adult like late into my adult years. I mean, once, once I met her family is probably the first time that I could really can pinpoint recognizing like, oh, wow, they're like, they both have careers that they're relatively fulfilled and happy with. They have a family that is like, seems it was so foreign to me. I'm like, they love each other. Like, really? You know, I used to, I used to tell her she had like a sitcom family. So like, you know, at this point I'm, 20 something years old and I'm just realizing that you can have abundance that you can have these things and not everyone is is broke as fuck and struggling and scraping by and at 40 I'm still struggling with that stuff because I have to understand that those are that's what I saw because it's what I knew it's what I was reminded of and it just feeds itself and reversing that is tough and I think that's one of the things that always turned me off to kind of spiritual or personal growth type things is it can be conveyed sometimes in a way like this is so easy just do it just affirm that you love yourself in the morning affirm that you're beautiful affirm that you'll be financially successful and then like that you will and it's delivered in this way like that's what's going to happen like no you have to unpack several decades of fucking nonsense and then start to rebuild what you're going to notice in the world around you you have to destroy the things that you see right now that aren't serving you. And then you have to slowly build back in all the things that you want and need to see in order to, to evolve and move forward. And that results in the necessity of a death of a former self, right? You have to let that identity go. These are all very difficult things. And it's the yes. reason why we don't do them much of our own accord. There's usually some sort of like 
catastrophic event or huge influence, it drives us to let go of those narratives, those stories that the limiting beliefs, who we were at one point in time in order to become someone different. Because if you become someone different, you're now in unfamiliar territory, right? <laughs> you may have new friendships. You may lose old friendships. You may have new opportunities and lose other opportunities, or maybe they all coexist, but you don't know. And we cling to familiarity. I used to say we cling to comfort. And I don't think that's true. I've come to learn that that's not true over time because a lot of people are clinging to shit that's far from fucking comfortable, right? And yes, sir. what we do cling to familiarity like a motherfucker, like we're hanging off a cliff and, you know, death is imminent if we let go. <laughs> and it's, that's a hard thing for people to get past. So I, I just love that someone like you is doing it in a way where it's accessible Mm-hmm. And it, and maybe I don't want to speak for you, but um, perhaps like the vegetables and the ice cream sort of scenario, like come on in and get exercise. Yep. We'll do some workouts. And then I'm also going to talk to you about this other stuff. Don't worry about that. <laughs> we'll, we'll touch base on it every couple of months and we'll see. And then all of a sudden they're like, what did you do? Some sort of voodoo weird fucking shell game with me where I came in here to get abs and now I feel like a better person. <laughs> That's, you know, that's what we've transitioned to gym to slowly. And that is full bore what I do online with men. It's like, I mean, yes, I want to hear about this. I want to hear your, your program. Okay. Let's, I, I want to talk about this. I, I also want to talk about plants because yeah. you've talked about psychedelics and plant medicine. And I have a couple questions for you because you said microdosing course. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Love to talk about the primal man pathway. Uh, yeah. I mean, you've seen my Instagram feed. I'm 7% body fat. I put shirtless pictures up. Come get abs like me. Oh, by the way, we're going to talk about when you dick your knee up playing soccer six years ago and that messed with your fitness journey. Uh, we're going to talk about when you dropped out of college and that gave you the idea that you can't finish anything you complete. Mm-hmm. And two weeks into 12 weeks, you're already going to be a man on fucking fire because you got your shit out of your way and you still have four or five more story work sessions to now start to create power because all that other stuff is untangled. So yeah, I, I, I sell fitness and then I, 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 uh, you make it easy to, yeah, I rope and dope them. I, I sell the, re, the physical resistance and uh, make it very easy to get through the mental resistance. I love that, man. Yeah. And, and you said that's a, that's like a standalone 12 week program that you do outside of, outside of your facility. Yeah. So that's all like a remote online program that I'm, that I'm building up. Uh, I by and large, I have two other coaches here now that are in lifted certified level one. Uh, so I by and large try and let this place be where my coaches build careers. Mm-hmm. And then I'm building that up so I can still coach because at the end of the day uh, I can run a business. Well, I can, coach i enjoy coaching more and yeah uh, we all want to be fulfilled so i love that man mm-hmm. I'll, we'll be sure to put some information in about that too in the show notes so that uh, people can find out more because i think it's really cool i think it's it's something valuable and something that's needed and it's i'm noticing and maybe it's just because of the echo chambers and the circles and the bubbles that we exist in i'm noticing more and more and more people asking for and men specifically asking for things like this seeking them out it's being offered more frequently and i think that's really valuable because we have a tendency 
in just human beings, I think in general, have a tendency to, to polarize everything and to overcorrect. Oh, you're being yeah. too much of a dick. Now let's be really fucking gentle and soft and kind of like, mm. well, you, yeah. you got to be in the middle somewhere. And I had this discussion with, with the, um, the guy who, this will be a nice transition into the uh, plant medicine stuff. I had yeah. this discussion on one of the shares with this microdosing group where I said, I, I started putting the, strapping the gloves on again. I used to do some MMA and Muay Thai. So I started strapping the gloves on again and just like hitting the bag a little bit. And I want to, I'm going to talk to one of my former instructors about um, finding some time to train with him and, and whatnot. I said, I feel like I, I went from this like savage fucking animal that was just mean and nasty and like violent. And, and I was, that's who I, and mm -hmm. I've tried to really quell that a lot and, and go more the other direction and get a little bit more in touch with my emotion, with myself, looking at my past, got two little girls now. So I'm like, I, you know, I don't want to just be a fucking savage raising two little girls but I want to be a little savage. So oh, I started feeling like I was getting too soft and I'm like, I got to bring this back in. And it was, it was funny because it was met with a little bit of resistance where they're like, I don't know if anyone that's ever met you is like, Chad just seems too soft. <laughs> and I was like, I don't, well, I don't know. It's, it's for me. It's not about like projecting that. Like, I want to know that I'm tuned up. There's a, there's a certain amount of, um, there's a certain amount of comfort and pride that I take in being physically capable, whether that be, you know, sufficient strength to do work, not just working out, like to do things, my ability to protect my, my wife and my children, my ability to play with them and do all of these things, protect myself. That stuff's really important to me. So I love seeing programs like yours where it's like, we're going to ask you to tap into some of these things, some of this resistance and why it's there. And some of it might be emotional, probably will be. And we're also going to ask you to discipline yourself and choose discomfort in the, in the right doses and in the right places in your life so that you become strong, that you become hard okay. in the right places and soft in the creamy center where you need to be or whatever it is that, you know, however that goes, it, it seems like that's what you're trying to deliver to men. And I think it's super valuable and I'm seeing a, a growth in demand for that and availability for it. So I think it's really cool. I appreciate that. Um, there this analogy popped into my head earlier and then you touched on this savage animal. Uh, Angelo Cisco, amazing human being. Uh, and he, this analogy is from him, credit where credit is due. And the way he puts it is we all have an animal inside us and most people go through life, that animal dragging them down the road. And then they go, oh no, I'm aware of that animal now. So I'm gonna go stick it in a cage. And some people stop there and they've essentially to your, like exactly what you're saying, lock their power away. And true power comes when you bring the animal back out of the cage and you can dance with it. When you can have it on a leash or even off leash healed right next to you and you can dance with the animal inside you. I love that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Angelo is a good dude. We've known him for him and Marcus for a while as well. It, again, it's just funny the number of uh inner inner cross paths that that exist but it makes Energy. sense though because you start to gravitate toward people that you know are going to lift you people that you know are going to help you evolve and challenge you mm -hmm. i think we we so often seek people that just want to we, we look for that confirmation i want someone to agree with me someone to tell me that like 
oh, it's okay. Yeah, you've had a tough month, week, year, whatever. Like, oh, it's okay that you're acting like this because you you had a tough childhood growing up or whatever the thing is. Like, we see it constantly. You know, I'm reminded of when we were we were teachers for uh, about five years out in California and in a really poor area, Southern California. And I had people talking to me at, at like a little uh, party, barbecue, whatever, one time. And they're like, well, you don't, you don't know what it's like to be poor. We were talking about like some of the things that the kids were doing and saying, I said, why? Because I'm white. Like, obviously we're, we're very Southern California. Our district was like 99.8% um, Hispanic. And I was like, listen, those kids are up against some really difficult challenges, but that can't be the thing they lean on forever. Or they'll never find success. And I used to say it to my students when I, in, when we're in the classroom, I'd say, you guys are, most of you are really great kids. You're nice. I'm like, you're not, you're a pain in the ass. And then get them to laugh a little bit. And so I'm like, but the reality is, is there's kids that live 40 minutes from here. that have a lot more opportunity than you do. And when you leave this place, no one cares. If you're both applying for the job, it's the person that can fulfill the skill set and that can make the sale of themselves that they're going to be the most valuable asset to this company or this team or whatever. They're the one that's going to get the, the opportunity. Yeah. You need to work harder to get there. We can't let that stuff define it. And it's, but that's uncomfortable. We don't want to seek out someone who's like, hey, maybe you're wrong. <laughs> but we, yeah. need, we need that. We need people that will challenge us in a way that we know they care about what we're doing. I think that's what ends up happening when all these circles kind of overlap is it's a whole group of people that genuinely want you to do better and genuinely don't want to lie to you. Yes. 100%. Um, to your point about challenging you, I was on the alpha hippie show with Angelo day before yesterday, I think. Mm -hmm. And he asked so many questions. It's like, Oh, I got to think on that. Like <laughs> guy is a wizard. Um, uh, and to your point about resistance, because we're circling and circling this, uh, I've, I'm curious on your thoughts because I've, it's been my experience that people that have had plant medicine experiences, mushroom, uh, LSD, DMT, whatever you name it, that they are much more open to the personal development side of things. I think so. I think it's at least, again, I'm speaking personally and also at watching the people who are a part of the, the tribe that I work with. Um, it's all, it's hard not to, mm -hmm. it's hard not to like, you just, you open your, your mind and your consciousness to so many other things that you hadn't really considered. Uh, and whether it's something you can tangibly put your finger on or just like a deep feeling or like a deep knowing it's, I'd imagine it'd be really difficult to not be open to growth and evolution and personal change. And I think the people that struggle with it, when I look around the room, Melissa and I've talked a lot about this when, when I go to the ceremony and I see, um, you know, some of my, my friends and stuff that are there that are having really difficult times and kind of consistently have very difficult times. Like how much of that is just, you're fucking fighting tooth and nail to not be open to this change. Like you're really clinging from there. And I get that because I've clung like a motherfucker to my stories for a long time. But it was interesting in when I started going to these ceremonies, 
it was interesting to see that the previous five or six years of time that I spent sitting in meditation and, and all these sort of things that got me more comfortable with looking at less than favorable aspects of, of me and my decisions in my life, my actions, it almost prepared me to manage my experiences with medicine in a much different way. So like the, the, the facilitators and the healers that are there, I remember every, each time I go down, they look at me, they're like, yeah, they're like, damn, yeah. dude, like you're just hanging strong. Like you're going through it. And like, I know that you're, I know you're going through it, you know? And, and it just, it dawned on me. I'm like, holy fuck, I can. Like the very first time that I, that I did a, a, a grandfather ceremony, which is psilocybin. Um, I remember telling Melissa, I, I expected it to be insanely difficult and super dark and just like, like heavy and heavy and heavy and not sure how I would be able to manage it. None of that was true. It was, it was very manageable, 90% joy and light. And I, I started to understand the phrase that a lot of people in these circles will use, which is like the medicine will show you what you need to see. Yes, and I've, I took right, it out of my mouth. Like the, I, I've lived a life where I know struggle. I know hardship. I know enduring pain. I know enduring discomfort. It's where I fucking live. It's where I feel comfortable. I love having my back against a wall. I intentionally put my back against the wall a lot of times. And so that like going down to these ceremonies, that's not, I didn't need more of that. I needed to see that I can be hopeful and I can be joyful and I can grow with that as a set of tools. And you need both of those things in your toolbox. You can't, it's not one or the other. It's just that I have, I've lived a life that was so lopsided in the dark for so much time that I'm likely to experience a lot of light going through these things right now, because I've got to find a balance mm -hmm. and we all do. It's not, it's not a course to eliminate one or the other. If you pointed out before your ability to dance with it, can, can your lightness dance with your darkness? Can they both serve their purpose? That's the stuff that I, and I think once you start to like feel it inside your heart, inside your soul with some of these plant medicine experiences, it's really difficult to deny it. And then it just takes someone stepping in and be like, Hey, are you interested in, you're like, yes, sign me up. I'll do it. What are we working on? Language, huh? mental states. What are we doing? You know, you're like, I, this is what I was waiting for. I was ready for it. So I, I agree that it opens people up tremendously to personal development and professional development, just mm -hmm. evolution in general. 100%. Uh, I, psilocybin is a favorite of mine. Um, and I had my first five MEO experience earlier this year. Mm. And even as someone who was already through and lifted level one, I had mind opening experiences, it rocked my world. And I came out of it describing it as the most beautiful experience I've ever had. And to your point, like it showed me what I needed. And I was out of town at the moment and at the time, and I was supposed to fly back on Tuesday and mm -hmm. 5-MEO was on Sunday and I woke up Monday morning. I was like, nope, I want to go hug my wife. And I paid the change fee, flew home, got on the couch with my wife and dogs and sat there for the rest of the day. Fuck yeah, dude. Yeah. So that, and that, and I think that's a big, you just touched on something that I've noticed is a big piece of this is, is 
getting back in tune with with your intuition and recognizing like we have a tendency in our culture to want to subdue any feeling that is outside of like the flat line like don't get too happy or too sad don't be nervous don't like well these things all serve you they're all part of your life why are you nervous are you actually excited and you just view it as, as anxiety should you take a drug to reduce your excitement about life right are you anxious because you're ill-prepared for this thing that you're stepping into is that a lesson for you to be better prepared next time like we're so often looking for a way to kind of quote unquote normalize our emotions instead of feeling them right we want to treat them and it's things like that like man i felt really compelled to to book my flight to go home sooner rather than later cool yeah. spend a little energy and go right and a lot of people are like oh well i can't afford it or i don't want to spend the extra 250 but like no just use that energy because right now you're being asked by yourself to go do this thing that matters you know Perfect. i think that's really cool and, and this ties into the energy and reticular activating system uh one of my clients in the gym awesome guy. He's one of my individual design clients, been around four or five years, and he's worked out in the evening forever. And it's all, it's, he, I get a text from him yesterday morning, about to hit my workout in, my, in the basement. I write him like one limited equipment workout per week that you can do at home. So like about to get it. I'm like, the fuck? Awesome. Cool. Glad you're doing that. I got, he has to get on the phone later that day. He's like, dude, so I woke up at 4 a.m. and couldn't go back to sleep, went and sat in a quiet room and I just got this download and I started writing and it was like, dude, you work out at 5 a.m. now, that's who you are. And it has been a running joke in his house that, oh yeah, I'm gonna wake up at 5 a.m. and go for a run for like 15 years. <laughs> so, and have you, you read, button? <laughs> dude, yeah. So have you read any of Stuart Wilde's work? I'm familiar, but I haven't read anything. Okay, so he talks about how the universal energy, and if we're gonna go down this rabbit hole, uh, he talks about how the universal energy doesn't choose. It, it, whatever you give to it, it'll push back to you. So for 15 years, they were sarcastically saying multiple nights a week, oh yeah, I'm gonna go wake up and early and work out at 5 a.m. And the universal energy was like, huh, that's what you said, that's what you're doing. You know, so you could look at it energetically or with the reticular activating system that he said it so many damn times that his body finally just rewired itself and was like, that's what we do. That's what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's that's awesome. So cool. That's really, it's, it's crazy to think how, how pivotal of a shift some people can, can make with just something as simple as creating a little bit of space in their day and then using that space to reframe their language both internally externally like their dialogue how they write all these sort of things and all of a sudden it just clicks and i think we've seen it a million times i remember being frustrated early on when i was younger uh coaching even before we owned the gym giving advice to someone a whole bunch of times and then all of a sudden someone else is like hey try this and they're like they walk back in the next day like i tried what fucking johnny over there said and it was amazing it changed my life you're like you motherfucker i've said it to you every day for the last two years like but there's something about 
there's something about the the willingness of the of the individual to sit with that and to to receive it and to receive it over and over and over and over again until it finally reaches that tipping point they're like okay i'm gonna do it you know and and it's a hard thing and it's simple but it's something that needs attention drawn to it during this kind of point in history because it's so easy to be distracted my sister's a mental health counselor we had did a nice interview with her about uh the ways that people can distract themselves specifically about trauma but one of the big points we talked about was the access to being able to fill your time and become busy so that you don't have to pay attention to anything yeah right this little computer that we all carry around in our pocket that entertains us and sings to us and we can talk to you like you know it's it has to be intentional I, I mean i can't tell you how many clients i've had in the past where i'll say you know i'll give them one or two days a week where i'm like i want you to go for a walk in the woods and i don't want you to bring your fucking fitbit or your phone or anything else just go give me 30 minutes ish okay. if you go for 27 great if you go for 68, wonderful, whatever. And it was amazing to me how many people initially, as we started that, will come back and, and even after saying, hey, don't bring anything with you, just go be in nature, do this thing. Well, my pace was this far. They sent me like a little screenshot of their, you know, their their walking app that they use down there. Like, I don't give a fuck. That's not the point disconnect from that stuff is the point and it's really hard to get ourselves to do it because then i started to get responses like that was the hardest thing i did all week was have 30 minutes of uninterrupted silence with just myself mm -hmm. it, it, you took it you took it out of my head like uh, when you started talking about quiet space it's deviceless walks like it's it's in true coach for every one of my clients in the primal man pathway, like 30 minute walk, no phone. Yeah. And, and you know what, if you're up for it, when you get home, grab a journal and start writing. Mm -hmm. That's, I mean, that's, that's a huge thing for you is the writing piece. I've loved writing. Yeah. And something that you resisted for a long time. I think we, we well, have this idea of what it's supposed, what meditation is supposed to look like, what journaling supposed well, to look I, like. Yeah. I wasn't journaling. So I, I went, yeah, I went in with an expectation or like what I thought it was supposed to, yeah, what it was supposed to look like. So I was like, I would sit down and be like, I don't know what to write about. So then I was like going off prompts, but then sometimes the prompts didn't resonate with me with that for that day, for whatever reason. And then I was like forcing writing about that prompt and it felt like it Homework. felt forced. Yeah. <laughs> it felt like something I just had to do. So now I just do like a literally like a 16 year old diary. You know, I did it when I was a kid. I did it when I was a teenager. I don't know why. So one day I was just like, what if I just wrote like how I feel today Whatever came to mind. or what happened today? Stream and of then it just, yeah, it just dumps. And sometimes it's four pages. Sometimes it's half a page. Sometimes it's like bullet point. Like you said you were going to do this. Now go fucking do it. Like, so yeah, that's been awesome for me. Yeah. That's great. That's uh, I've rebranded my journal, my book of spells and my pen, my magic wand. Yeah. I love it. It's, yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I'm um, interested, so I'm I'm gonna have my first um, experience or ceremony um, in the beginning of May, and I've been resistant to it because I thought I, in my closed-mindedness, thought I didn't need it. 
because I don't have a lot of, I don't have any real trauma and true darkness from like my childhood, my past. So I was pretty content with like, I'm, you know, I'm a pretty good person. I feel pretty connected to nature and myself. And so I'm really interested, like having conversations with Chad and stuff. I'm like, oh, I'm probably missing out on a lot of stuff. I'm probably falling short um, with what I could be doing. Um, so I'm excited to see what that comes up for me because it's, I think it's going to be an enlightening, like, oh, you, you could have been doing all this stuff and you weren't, you weren't. <laughs> like, well, I think I have a lot more limited beliefs about myself than I, maybe I realize. So. Well, there's a difference too between needing, I think is one of the things we talked about. Like, does everyone need to have that sort of experience? I don't know. Probably not. Well, and that maybe. was my, you know, with my limited understanding and, you know, talk discussions with you, like, that's how I compartmentalized it was you have trauma, you needed it. I really don't. Where mm -hmm. like everyone could benefit. Right. Sure. So is there yeah. room for growth and yeah, my I mean my um understanding and feelings towards that in the last few months has completely shifted. Like the first time he came home he's like, you should totally do this with me. I'm like, I'm never doing that. No. Well and it was more because of, you know, I mean if I've been drunk I think I've seen Melissa six times in my whole life. Like, like you know, like times. I don't like that feeling of being out of control, um, which I think is something that I need to dig into. So I'm, I'm very interested. I'm, I'm curious, excited. Pace, for you, for you um, being married, what's, what's the relationship like that for you and your wife? Is this something that, or the plant medicine thing, is that a thing that you explore by yourself? Is she interested? Is it something you do together? It is. It is more something I explore. She has had a couple of uh, exp experiences, nothing ceremonious, uh, a couple of good experiences. Uh, the first one showed her some stuff she needed to see. Uh, you know, and uh, since then it's been, she, it's, it's really cool to see someone be so receptive to it. Uh, she looked at me at one point during a psilocybin experience she's like some people are melting up and some are melting down she's like oh. i'm like yeah you're like seeing their aura right now like some people are vibing up and some people are vibing down and hmm. uh, it, it's really cool to see someone uh unlock that for themselves and you you said something that really resonated with me about feeling out of control when you're drinking and for me personally alcohol just doesn't hit anymore like I and I used to go to I like give me a shot of Rumpelmann's and a Long Island iced tea at the same time and then I'll be back in 10 minutes you know um, and I've I've gone to weddings and parties and whatnot with like a half to 0. 0.7 uh, grams of mushrooms instead and it's like yeah. I'm up I'm lively and by the way this stuff is the medicine of old like if if we think that we are ahead of ancient civilizations and being connected to ourselves and the earth. We are so wrong. Oh, yeah. Like these guys had so much figured out. Well, and even just, I mean, one of the things that, that we've discussed, there's two things actually that you touched on in there that I had a couple of thoughts pop in my mind. One is the 
participants' willingness to be receptive. And that's, I think, what I'm the most excited about for, for Melissa because everyone's got some sort of, at least I believe, some sort of, at least if you want to call it trauma, I'm searching for a word to define it, but like micro things that shape your beliefs and, and whatever they are. We just do because no one's perfect. No one's parents are perfect. No one's upbringing. You're, you're not without sorrow or without disappointment. And it just depends on how you react to that. What I would agree with is that Melissa doesn't have like tremendous barriers around anything really in her life, at least that we've, I mean, and I think we've been together long enough that we can kind of speak to those things that we're very, we have a very open and deep relationship in that way. So I'm excited because I think she'll be someone similar to what it sounds like how your wife responded, where like, I downloaded these messages and I'm gone. I don't even need to hear it again. I'm like, whereas me, I'm going to be like, all right, I'm going to put my head on the table and just beat it the fuck into my head for like five years because, you know, because <laughs> I, I can't learn a lesson the first time. I have to fucking beat myself down over and over and run into the same walls and same barriers. At least that's how I've, you know, how I've been up until this point. I find that I need a lot of repetitive lessons. And, and I think a lot of that is my resistance to, to things around it. It's things that I've built up for decades, whereas I'm excited for her because mm -hmm. I think she's going to be someone similar to your wife where she's going to receive these messages and just like, got it. I'm going, I'll come back some other time maybe and get another message. But <laughs> you know, right now I got this shit to do. Right. Sort of thing. Um, What's been interesting to me is like talking about things you're thinking about and then seeing them in the world. Like, the people I'm following lately on social media, or we talk about things professionally. And I'm like, and all of these people are using psychedelics in some way. Like, oh, I, I'm like, I really respect what this person's saying, or, oh, that totally made sense to me. And then like three posts later, they're like, and my psychedelic experience, I'm like, fuck, God damn it. <laughs> I think it was Steve Jobs that he wouldn't hire someone had they not tripped before. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Like, there, there is so many, to your point, so many high performers out there have expanded their mind and you can go down the, the science of neuroplasticity and what the, what these medicines do for people. Like, why did we ever lock them up in a, in a cage? Yeah. And listen, there's a million answers to that. Right. And some, oh, yeah. of, those, some of those things are, I guess, moot points. I, they're, they're important to at least understand one of the things that came to me early on is, is I wrote, I would come home, especially after a heart ceremony with MDMA, I would just journal like a motherfucker, like 15 pages of writing in there. And some of it is even intelligent sounding. Um, but one of the things that kept coming to me through various ceremonies was being a, a conduit for this stuff and bringing it up into more casual conversations with just people that I, that I know and that I'm friends with and family. So it's been really interesting to have these talks like with her parents. Um, you know, we went down, we were laughing because we were down visiting them a month or two ago. And uh, it was one of my microdosing days. And so I'm like, ah, I want to, I want to be down there for this and I want to do it. And so we're talking about it. And then I'm laughing because we went to the beach and we're running around on the beach and it's beautiful. Our girls are there and there's all these seals that you could go look at on an island. And uh, I've been doing cold water immersion and cold showers and all that stuff for a while too. And I'm like, man, I should get in the, in the water to Melissa. And she's like, I go, does your dad have a towel? And she's like, I don't know, let's go see. So we go up there and I'm like, hey, we're, I'm getting in the water. And <laughs> they're all sitting in the car saying warm and her and our oldest daughter came down. I just 
people are out like taking pictures of the seals in their parkas and shit. And I'm in my underwear, just jump in the water and start swimming. And I'm, we're talking about it after I'm like, this is so cool. And also really funny. I can only imagine the conversations that are happening in your parents' car right now. Like, look at our son-in-law taking drops of acid, swimming with seals. And <laughs> like, you know, but I, I want to, it's so weird. This, this compulsion that I feel to like normalize it in conversation, because mm-hmm it's odd to me how normalized excessive alcohol use is. And I was a fucking heavy drinker for a long time. And it's like, that's cool, bro. And you're like, oh, wait, but yeah. mushrooms? What are you, some sort of fucking loser? And I'm like, yeah. that doesn't even make any sense. Right? Let, like, science, let's actually look at like the, the, the data on these substances and what's more destructive than the other and what's more valuable than the other, how they are. Like, I'm not even trying to tell you don't drink, but just like, let's, let's have a conversation about it. And, and it's been really fun to have those conversations with friends and family and, and just start to see it seep into people's minds where they're like, Oh, maybe you're right. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm on LSD right now. Right. Like this, today's a, today's a microdosing day. And when I talk to friends and family about the course, they're like, well, how do you go through your life? I'm like, just a minute. I go, you know, when you have a really nice day, and you just feel like things are kind of clicking. You're, you're able to stay focused on what you're doing. You're accomplishing work. You're in a good mood. You're talking to colleagues and, and friends and family. And it's just a good day. It's a lot like that. Like that's what nature, it feels like. Nature gave us a bunch of forms of Xanax. Yeah. You know, like, uh, yeah. I mean, this is, my, this is my mushroom honey right here. Yeah. You know, it goes in my tea every couple of days. Beautiful. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's funny. I love that you are that you're partaking and that you're talking to people about this too. Like, I just think the more people that are doing that and normalizing it, it the better it's going to be. Because while not everyone needs it, I do think that a lot of people could benefit from it, and there are certainly people that need it. Yeah, and, and to your point, how many fist fights, uh, family feuds, car accidents? Uh, overdose deaths happen on LSD or psilocybin as compared to alcohol. Oh, I mean, it's, you're it's, preaching the choir, man. It's on, yeah. you know, and, and then it's, and have you ever read um, Dr. Carl Hart's book, how to do drugs like a grown up? No, it's a really great book. Um, and, you know, one of the things that he touches on in there is, is dose delivery set and setting which obviously being familiar with psychedelics, like, but he talks about that as a general concept. And I've used that to explain to a lot of people when we're talking about booze, like all of these substances respond that way. If I go to, if I'm in my backyard with a bunch of friends, it's a sunny day, we're barbecuing and I get super drunk, it's probably going to be a pleasant day. You know, I'll go to bed early, whatever. If I'm in a an environment that feels kind of like edgy or hostile it's dark and i consume the exact same amount of booze right the likelihood of that being a negative experience and me getting myself into trouble or getting into a fight or arrested or all these things that i would typically do as a younger man is much higher because the set and setting are different it's no different when you look at something like lsd or psilocybin or any of these other psychedelic medicines that are out there like it does matter the mindset you're in and it should be treated responsibly you should act like an adult just like you shouldn't drink a case of beer and then go fucking drive on the highway right there's there's ways to manage 
the use of these things so that you can enjoy it. So you can learn from it. You can connect to other people. It's all of those things. Like it's just, it's, we've been cultivated and indoctrinated to believe that this substance bad, but this one that we sell you in a bottle, whether it's booze or pills, like this one's good. This is fine. Keep taking this one, right? They're all substances. They're all chemicals. Have you read each of them? Have you read the immortality key? No, but I am familiar with it. Dude, I mean, the ancient ceremonies that Egyptians had, like psychedelic fungus in their drinks, you know, the the funeral beers of like the Vikings had psychedelic properties. It's proliferated throughout history. There's there's evidence of it everywhere. It's, It's interesting that we've chosen to separate from it. I think that one of the things that drives it in this, in our culture in the U.S. is being an individualistic society versus looking at it from, have you ever uh, read the, uh, the Righteous Mind? No, but I'm, I'm writing that down as right under how to do drugs like an adult. <laughs> <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of the discussion in that book is around, um, in the beginning portion, around morality and how it's developed in a, in a culture that is individualistically based versus a culture that is based on the collective Right. And if you think about psychedelic experiences, they're very much the collective. So if in the US we're like, fuck this, I'm American, I do what I want. Like I I have rights and I do that. And it's all about me, 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 me. And then you start to expose yourself to we via psychedelic experiences. It can be, it can shake you a little bit. Like, are all the things that I was thinking, are they wrong? Are they bad? Or, and it's not even, it, that's not how it should be perceived, but that's where I think it, it lost value in many ways for people in, in at least our society, because we're more interested in the individualistic rights, purpose, um, you know, goals, the things that we get as a person than we are, how do we uplift our community? And I think that's why it's also such a great potential cure for our culture because what we need is more connection we need more community really not like the fake community that's sold you know in, in through various businesses and whatnot like really giving a shit about the people about your neighbors and friends and the people in your community and when you start to do all of those things you start to see the discrepancies and the division fall by the wayside your political views matter less your gender and 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 sexual procl- uh, proclivities matter less your race matters less because you start to see humanity in one another and you start to see more similarities and less differences and there's a feeling of being connected with the earth with yourself with other people it's one of my favorite things about psychedelics is this this deep feeling of unity to everything but that's scary if your whole story is wrapped up around you I think that's where a lot of the resistance comes from for people. That's beautiful, man. And I, I wrote this down in my notes the other day, listening to a, a Paul Trek episode. And he, he said on there that God is a sphere whose center is everywhere and circumference is nowhere. And went on to talk about being connected. And, and it gave me a thought that, uh, the internet, Wi-Fi, and cellular data are to spiritual connectivity to all things, what Western medicine is to plant medicine. 
in an age where we are becoming more and more artificially connected to ourselves, each other, and the earth, we have at the same time reached a precipice on the far edge from true medicine. False connection and false medicine make for a comfortable, docile, and controlled populace. That's beautiful, man. Thank you. Beautiful. I need you to send that to me because I'm going to put it in the show notes. I want people to be able to reread that. There's yeah, I will. Thanks. Certain things that like that you hear, that you're just like, holy shit. And that was one of them. Um, that was beautiful, dude. I don't even know. I'm like, I'm almost speechless <laughs> with it. It it made me it made me immediately think of um there's a there's a book called Amusing Ourselves to Death, and it's basically a comparison of a brave new world and 1984 and the preface of the book which was written in i think the 80s like maybe mm -hmm. late 80s early 90s the preface of the book is fucking terrifying and i have it saved on my phone somewhere and i just have, i'll like send it to people randomly but it, it talks about comparing the two books are you familiar with 1984 and a brave new world I have not read either of them i'm familiar with 1984 uh not so much with a brave new world so the, the basic premise is a dystopian future, yeah. right? One of them, 1984, focuses on that being accomplished through authoritative oppression, right? We're going we're gonna to take over. We're going to burn the books. We're going to force this upon you. The other one, A Brave New World, is basically achieved by convincing people that they can indulge in their vices and all their things. So they're, they're amused to death. They're, they're just, Hey, we're not going to force you to do this, but you're going to love getting comfortable and we're going to keep you there and we're going to make you docile. We're not going to restrict information from you. We're going to flood you with so much that you have no idea what's true idea. and what's not all of the, like, and if you read, dude, I, I'll send the preface to you in response to when you send me what you wrote. Um, it's certainly obviously not something I wrote originally, but I, I heard it recited and then I immediately bought the book and I read, I'm like, Jesus, this is like, it's so spot on. And it was written 30 years ago or 25 years ago. Um, and it's so spot on to where we are right, like in this moment. And we're, we're staring this future that this person predicted in the face right now, what are we going to do with it? Can we learn a lesson from this book, please? <laughs> Hopefully some of us talk about flooding with information. Look at like the CIA docs that have been released in the last year. You can go to CIA.gov and like read these things about like UFOs and this and that and all kinds of things that people always discredited. And they just like, are like okay, here's all this. Oh, here's no, all nobody. Yeah, here's all of it. Oh, nobody really picked up on it because we put it all out there at the same time. You can't drink from a fire hose, right? Mm -hmm. There's no one's gonna, they're just not gonna be able to take it in and process it and, and recognize it, which is brings us back kind of full circle to the need that we all have for space, for time, to think for yourself, to evaluate your relationships and your life and the choices that you're making. Are they what feel right to you? Are you able to trust that intuition in your heart, in your gut, in your soul and act accordingly? because we're all just defining our own reality and it's real to us. So if you're fighting against that, against what your authentic reality should be for you, then you need to take a step back. But if we don't give ourselves a space to do that, then we'll, that will just continue. And then people don't know why they're suffering. They're like, I don't know why I'm miserable. I just am. I don't know why my relationship doesn't work. It just doesn't. 
This is just our life. This is how we're at. It, and mm-hmm. I fucking said things like that mm-hmm. a bunch in my past. I, like, I don't ever want these episodes to come out as like condemning of people that who are in that mindset. Cause I was 1000% in that mindset and I still struggle with slipping into it from time to time. Good judgment comes from good judgment comes from experience and experience comes from bad judgment. <laughs> it's a circle, right? Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I think we should end on that. Wow. What a great conversation today. Thank you all so very much for tuning in. Uh, I feel like that conversation could have gone on for quite a while. It was really a great chat. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure as you're finishing this up, go ahead and like and subscribe to the podcast. Follow us on social media. Leave us some some comments, some reviews. Let us know what you like. Let us know what you would like to hear in the future. We love you all. We truly appreciate your support. Thank you.